So, Patty, I really enjoyed our podcast episode today with Salim Khatri. Always uh, great insights on dealing with restaurants and setting up restaurant POS. Well, I really liked it, too, because, you know, I, I've sat in on your um, on your your video um, conference just recently where you talked about selling to restaurants. Yeah. And that was sort of generic. What I love about this is, you know, Salim really gets down into the nitty gritty and some of these verticals that you might not have even thought about. Right. And, um, you know, they have the, you know, Labu has the technology to right. service that restaurant in a way that will, you know, outdo yeah. toast in the others. Yeah, I love it. And then um, as we got into the uh, questions in the field, I talk about a uh, little poll that I ran in my Facebook group. Uh, cool. Quite a few votes and talk about dual pricing, which is currently leading the way as far as the preferred way to pass the cost of processing onto the consumer for agents. Um, right. 50% are dual pricing with only 35% now non-cash adjustment. And we talk about compliant surcharging and true cash discounting kind of pulling, you know, bringing up the rear. Um, and then talk, uh, Patty, about the insiders. Well, we have, uh, you know, a little bit more um, of angst for Visa and MasterCard. Um, yet another investigation. Um, stay tuned through the whole podcast and to learn more. Awesome. And uh, today's uh, podcast is brought to you by NMI. Go to visit them at NMI.com. So, are you ready, James? Should we start? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Salim Khatri, who's the CEO at LaVu. How are you doing today, Salim? Good, good. Super excited to be here. Uh, yeah. Excited to have you. So, you know, Salim, we talk a lot about the fine dining restaurant, sit-down restaurant, kind of that traditional picture of a restaurant. And yeah. I was thinking back, and on the podcast, we haven't talked as much about the more kind of specialty non-traditional, you know, the, the pizza shop, the food truck, the ice cream parlor, that sort of thing. And so I wanted to talk about um, these more kind of non-traditional food service businesses and mm -hmm. how to go to market and service them. But before we dive into that, Salim, I know you and I just did this huge event. Um, you have a new reseller program direct for agents. Give us a little update. Like how's, how's Love you doing these days? How, what's the reception been like for that program? And, and maybe a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah, I mean, look, the program reception has been absolutely amazing. Uh, we're thrilled uh, trying to keep up with, uh, with all the demand here. And um, I think we really struck a chord with these ind this independent agent community, right? For so long, they've been disenfranchised because, you know, our, our, our respected competitors like Toast have, you know, sold that integrated processing. And I think independent agents just realize, hey, I can't just go in and try to sell processing on a standalone basis or sell processing in a disjointed POS where I don't have control over onboarding and service, et cetera. Uh, we're really excited. I think we really hit the nail on the head. And I mean, this is going to be really, really big for the industry. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Very cool. So yeah, I've been, uh, you know, my I've been getting lots of emails and and uh, social media messages as well about the program. So pretty cool yeah. stuff. So so Salim, you know, let let's start here by kind of zooming out a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about some some business types where Lavu does really well that maybe mm -hmm. don't fit into that kind of stereotypical sit down restaurant. You know, what are some other verticals where Lavu has done really well historically? You know, um, a couple things, right? So we do incredibly well with bars. We do incredibly well with ice cream. We do incredibly well with fast casual as defined with anything that has a drive-through service. Mm. Um, and so, you know, everybody always talks about fine dining or areas where they just, you know, see a lot of volume because the average ticket is higher. But it's really important to service these types of restaurants as well. And Lavu is such a, Lavu is purpose-built for restaurants. And it's just such an intuitive 
user interface because it's built on an iPad. And for people out there who have children, you know, they know they can just start using an iPad when they're two or three years old and just mm -hmm. start swiping and they just pick yeah. it up super easy. And in an environment where there's 75% restaurant turnover right now, and that costs up to $2,000 per head, for it costs restaurants $2,000 per head. You need something that's easy to use, that's intuitive. People know, people already know what they're doing. And so that's why right. we're, that's one of the biggest reasons why we're successful. And I think uh, bars are, is probably a really good example of that, yep. know, right? Where turnover yep. is big. Can you maybe give us an idea? I, I, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, and I'm sure other folks are too, sure. what some of the key features are for sure. POS in Absolutely. the bar so environment. For for bar specifically, you need pre-auth for the tab, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. they, I was going to say swipe the card, but they dip the card. Right. Um, uh, you need you need menu search. So for large liquor items with bars, as you know, they have so many different drinks, sure. top shelf, et cetera, et cetera. You need to be able to quickly just type in, okay, you know, Jack Daniels, JAC, and then the, then the items just pop up. Um, there's a lot of bartenders who are new or they might get stumped with a drink that uh, they don't know how to actually make. So you have on-screen drink recipes that can be pulled up really easy to ensure that there's proper mixtures. And that's really important right now because restaurants are also thinking about costs. If you think about that extra pour, that will cost them a lot of money over a long period of time. So on top of that, the POS is really, really fast. And we like to say we have you know the best hardware partner in Apple. And so it just makes things really, really quick and on to the next one so they can turn tables fast. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So now I have to talk about my favorite business type. <clears throat> so me personally, yeah. when I when I was selling full time, I sold yeah. more pizza shops than anything else. I sold That's hundreds right. and hundreds of, of pizza shops. So I love pizza right. shops. Um, yep. And I want to talk about this because I know pizza shops have some very, very specific needs. <laughs> let's let's start here with the um, mm -hmm. building out the pizza as far as just actually getting the order done. How does yeah. Lavu handle that? Because I know that can be very unique relative yeah. to other food service businesses. Yeah, I mean, look, our pizza creator is one of the best in the business, right? So you can create a pizza with a visual aid. So you can do half cheese, oh, you know, yeah. half uh, vegetarian, half cheese, half pepperoni. Cool. Uh, you can add toppings on either side. And it's just piling up as you go on and on. So, you know, somebody who's new to the restaurant can just quickly order. Uh, and same thing with the customers. We have that both for our online ordering and our POS. And then here's the key thing about uh, pizza, pizza restaurants, as you know, is Customers keep coming back, right? Especially if it's a neighborhood yeah. pizza joint, uh, you know, not like a Domino's or a pizza, but if it's a neighborhood local place, right. Lavu has a customer management customer management feature that'll save the customer information, including their address, and even assign the orders to different drivers so they know who delivered what with each order. And if you want, if you call in next time, you say, "Hey, it's James." Boom, you want that, you know, very very specialized pizza that you made for you and your family along with a Coke. It's just super easy to order, and when it's super easy to order, you can keep you can keep things moving, and there's turnovers a lot faster. Yeah, that, that. that's that's no, a really, I, that, really crucial. I could take that to one extra step, you know, yeah. because it's sort of like uh, one of the things for me, at least during the um, pandemic, I got used to certain delivery people, mm -hmm. right? So oh, I yeah. can see going to that next step is online ordering and make sure James delivers it. That's right. Know, or That's something right. like that. Or who are who are the available <laughs> delivery people? James they, has a lot of side gigs. I know, yeah, right? <laughs> delivery was one of them. Yeah, you know, why not, right? That's right. So. That's the way to roll. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So, okay. Now, now this next feature is really applicable to pizza shops, but of course is super popular in a lot of other food service businesses. And that would be pickup and delivery. Right. So I wonder if you could talk about that, maybe as it relates to pizza shops or doing these phone orders and, and doing the pickup. Yeah. But then also, I'm really curious, like, 
How have you expanded that feature and functionality mm -hmm. over the last few years with COVID? Because obviously now like so many uh, restaurant and other food service business uh, types are looking for that, you know, pickup and delivery service. So how does Labu handle that? You know, it's uh, everybody's all, you know, there's com companies out there that you and I both know that are like anti, anti, you know, third party delivery. What we did at the beginning of COVID was we made a partnership with DoorDash so that they could use, our customers could use Menu Drive, which is our online ordering. And for $6.99, and look, I don't make a penny off of that. You could order from Menu Drive and have your food delivered to you. So the DoorDash delivery driver would pick up the food and deliver it to your home, right? That's really important for these restaurants because otherwise they have to have a fleet of vehicles. They have to hire delivery drivers. They have to pay insurance. And you're looking at 80 grand at least per person, not including car and insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So we've partnered with DoorDash first on the menu drive side to offer that delivery. But now we have a native POS integration. So even if you go on the DoorDash app and choose, you know, Patty's Pies, you want that pepperoni, it'll, and you order on DoorDash, on the DoorDash app, it'll go straight into Lavu. It'll print to your kitchen so your guys can make the food and then DoorDash will come and pick up the food and deliver it to your home. So that's really important. You just don't want to have restaurants thinking about what they have to do when it comes to operations, right? right. You have right. to make it really easy so that they can focus on delighting the customer, which allows them to make more money. What about um, what about in, in the more traditional sense where maybe it's, let's say, pickup? where you're not yeah. going through DoorDash, especially like sure. a pizzeria where they're like on the phone all night. Is there anything yeah. in particular that you've done to kind of streamline that experience as well, both for the employee and for the customer? Absolutely. So if you, again, if you go to menu drive or our, our online ordering, it'll be like orderstart.com backslash patties pies. You can do pickup, you can do curbside, you can do, um, you can, and you can do delivery and you can do dine in. So now when you get to the restaurant, you can just text them. They'll even give you a status update via text saying that your food is prepared. They'll come out and they'll 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 essentially hand you your food and and you're all set. So it makes it really really easy uh, and convenient for the customers. And people just like convenience, right? They just right. they don't yeah. want to deal with it. Agreed. Agreed. That's really cool. Okay, so let's take a look at two of my favorites, which sure. is um, food trucks. Yes. And and then you also mentioned ice cream parlors, which I That's hadn't right. really thought of before, but that yes. would be a very cool one. What are some, I mean, these to me seem like probably the most simplistic applications, right? Mm -hmm. These are the mm -hmm. other dining um, situations. But yeah. is there anything in particular that you can do to service these businesses, you know, to help yeah. better streamline the experience? Absolutely. So before we talk about those two, I just want to say one more thing. So we do have a partnership with Otter. And so Otter aggregates all the delivery services, which is right. really important. We've uh, all seen pictures where there's like 25 iPads or Android devices in a kitchen, and it just looks like a, you know, a big mess. All This all gets boiled down to one tablet. And again, if you don't want to use a tablet, all those orders just flow into your POS. Now, here's the kicker. It goes into your reporting. And so I've spent so much time with restaurant operators, taking them from 3% profit margin to 15 to 17% profit margin. And a really big part of that is reporting, knowing where you are in order to know where you need to get to. All that stuff is, is automated. On your question about food trucks and how we're different, Lavu can Lavu basically scales up and down with your restaurant. I'm sure there, there, your listeners and you all know that there's been many restaurants out there that have started with a simple food truck to prove out their product, right? right. And then they've grown. So we serve food trucks with a very, very lightweight system. It's $59 just to get you going. We'll even cover the processing through the dual cash pricing um, so they can pass on the processing fee and they don't have to burden it. And they get a fully fledged system for them to get up and running. 
And when they're ready to scale, we're able to give them more things. But a food truck needs cellular service because sometimes a service is not great. They need right. a, a very lightweight wireless printer and they need essentially a, a small iPad or iPad mini in order to be able to take orders and just keep the line flowing, especially in really busy areas. Right. Right. What about the what about the ice cream parlors? Anything, yeah. anything? Well, and maybe maybe actually let's do this. Let's yeah. say ice cream parlor and drive through because you, you talked yeah. about this earlier. Let's let's put those together. So let's say that just the kind of that drive through business where obviously speed is super important and simplicity. Talk about that a little bit, maybe. Look, yeah, I mean, drive through is very simple. And as you think about a uh, uh, broad POS user interface, it needs to be quick and intuitive. The checkout needs to be streamlined. They need to be able to access. Uh, they need to be able to access kind of all their ice cream flavors, right? Uh, we all know about Baskin Robbins, and you need to have 50, 60, 70 different ice cream flavors. You need to have a ton of modifier abilities. So right. if somebody wants fudge, extra fudge, nuts, M and M's, I mean, like the list goes on and on, right? Think of think of Cold Stone or something like that. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff is built into Lavu, and the thing is, you need to be able to build it in. You need to be able to access it. You, like a 15-year-old kid needs to be able to access it. And then you need to be able to charge for it so that you can report on it. Then you need to see, okay, cookie dough is selling really good on Friday nights for some reason. Uh, and M&Ms are, M&Ms are up 20%, right? So this allows you to sort of forward, be forward thinking in your business. Yeah, you know, one, cool. of, one of the things, Salim, I thought was, was so interesting, kind of my experience with Lavu, yeah. uh, as we work together on the training, and, you know, I was shooting the training, as you know, in my studio. Yes. And uh, I spent a considerable amount of time, you know, learning the Lavu system because I had to make videos about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you really have to learn something deeply in order to train other people about it. And, That's uh, right. yeah. I, you know, one thing that I was really impressed by that actually surprised me, um, I've done work with so many different point of sale providers. And the way that you guys have it set up where the the iPad is so simple, like the user yeah. interface is so simple. And right. then you kind of have all of the settings and functionality in this like dashboard that you access through, you know, your laptop computer or whatever, right. where you have more screen to work with. And right. the amount of flexibility that's in there, honestly, yeah. it's amazing because yeah. you have this really simple approach on the iPad, but then it's like what you can do is kind of this unlimited, like crazy yes. amount of flexibility. I'm just curious, talk about that a little bit of like that, that infrastructure and why you guys did it that way to keep that iPad simple versus having all the settings in the dashboard. Maybe talk about yeah. that infrastructure a little bit if you would. And just and maybe even how come, I mean, it seems to me that that would be very complex, but yeah. technology, but I got a feeling that it wasn't that hard for you. It's, um, you know, it's one of those things. So uh, earlier in my time at Lavu, we we basically did a study of who is our customer, right? Mm-hmm. Who is our ideal customer? We found that it was local restaurants who wanted to make more money. But all of these people had two pretty much identifying characteristics. One is they were predominantly immigrants. And two, they were do-it-yourself people that just really enjoyed good technology. So there's some people out there like myself who actually like reading the notes when you download an application update from your iPhone to right. see what changed, right? And I get super bummed out when it says, we've made it nicer for you. Like, I don't care. I want to know what, what, right. what it is. Right. There's a lot of people that go into the settings and look at all the different options that are available in your settings. Those are our customers, right? And so we wanted to make sure that they didn't have to call somebody like you would have to call from Micros and Aloha and pay them $25,000 for a guy to come out who knew less about the POS than you did. Uh You could just do everything yourself, and it was really easy to do. And you could hook it up to different systems. You could connect all your data. And that's why we basically built it that way. Yeah, it's really amazing. That's a good way to put it, because it's kind of like a lot of the other high-end systems 
you can program them to do just about anything. Yeah. But if you try to go into the dashboard and actually like you physically making that change, either you can't do it or it's you're never going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, right. Whereas Lavu kind of has all that that dashboard. And it was it was very interesting, actually. I found it I found it super interesting. And I love the 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 connection point where you make the change in the dashboard, then you mm-hmm. update the settings on the iPad whenever you want yeah. like at the end of the shift. And then right. here's all your changes are live. So I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So, okay. Along that thread, I have one more question, actually, different business type. So mm-hmm. along that thread of the, the um, flexibility and the ability to yeah. do a lot of things, talk about the large client. So I don't mm-hmm. know kind of maybe how, how large you tend to go here, but let's say we have a, you know, a, a restaurant that's got a lot of locations. Mm-hmm. So they need more advanced reporting, advanced functionality. Talk about how Labu works there and also how you scale hardware wise to make sure it's yeah. you know, consistent and dependable. I mean, look, our our um, our largest largest customer is a, a a group, a hostel or hotel group called Selena. They have 160 locations with us. They're around the world. That's one of the big advantages of Lavu is we can operate internationally where our competitors can't. Uh, so that's a big one. We're in NYU. So if you NYU Langone, which is the hospital in in uh, South Manhattan, um, we have multiple locations with them. We're at UMass. And the reason why I talk about these is because in order to be able to get into a university, your security has to be super, mm-hmm. super tight and yeah. your network capability has to be super tight. We're also the we're also the 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 POS for Apple. Right. So every cafeteria around the world, except for the United States and Cupertino, is used by it, Apple uses Lavu in the, all their cafeterias. So that gives you a lot of proof points and that we can handle as because we're on AWS, we can we can load up and down and scale up and down. It is a 100% cloud-based solution. So we handle high volume, we handle stadiums, we handle uh, a variety of different things, universities. But our obviously our core is our, is the local restaurant, and my goal is to make that person as much money as possible. But we can scale up and down really really quickly. And and talk about with these larger deals, especially you know this new um, for those maybe that weren't on the event. Uh, recently mm-hmm. didn't didn't hear about kind of the free hardware option where it's you know it's not free but it's you know there's no upfront yeah. cost I should say for the hardware. Yeah. Um right. how are you approaching that with the, some of these larger ones that do have you know five, six, ten locations they need a bunch of iPads and printers and all that kind of stuff. Like talk about that thought process a little bit and, and maybe give a little detail on that program if you would. Yeah. So the 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 general program is that we but like I said we believe that these independent agents have been disenfranchised, right? So we want to give them an attractive offer. So we give them lifetime residuals on an 80-20 split, which to me is incredibly attractive. They're going to find these restaurants. They're bringing them back to us. We're helping them set them up, and then they basically have that have those deals for life, right? Which is right. which is fantastic. So, what we do from a hardware perspective is I don't want anybody to ever view that as a blocker, right? Cash is king, especially in the restaurant industry. And so, if you want to get a new POS system and you're deserving of a new POS system because you want your restaurant to run faster and better, you shouldn't have to think about a $20,000 cash outlay. So what we do is we basically say, hey, look, we look at your numbers, we look at your volume, and we partner with you and say, look, over 36 months, you can pay the you can pay on a 0% financing basis, the hardware, as long as you're processing at certain levels, or your software is at certain levels. And, and look, we have a very unique uh, partnership with these independent agents where they can either absorb uh, absorb those costs um, and net it out from their residuals or we can or the restaurant can pay us directly. We want to be flexible. And so that's the whole point in 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 building this solution out. Awesome. Love it. So yeah, really cool. Yeah. A lot of I have, everything. 
Yeah, I have like a million other questions, but uh, but we better stop it there, Salim. And so what I want to do, though, before we jump off, definitely give you a chance to kind of give our listeners uh, you know, some information on where they can go to learn more. Obviously, I know you and I work together on a pretty extensive certification training program on Lavu. So maybe give a little sure. information on where they can go to learn more and, and how they could get that free training. Absolutely. Go to lavu.com backslash CC sales pro, uh, lavu.com backslash CC sales pro. Answer very, very brief information, your name, your email, your phone number. You hit the go button, we'll drop you right into James's course, which is fantastic. I've heard amazing things and I've seen it personally. Um, so whether or not we decide to work together, uh, you know, I hope to have an opportunity to at least meet with you and you get a lot of benefit from uh, from your course, which has been fantastic. Awesome. Salim, thank you so much for taking time to join us today and sharing some insights on uh, going after these specialty uh, restaurant types and food service businesses. Always a pleasure to speak with you, sir. Thanks very much. So, Patty, I just wanted to give a little bit of an update um, on our sponsor, NMI. And then, of course, NMI also owns Iris CRM and kind of the integration work that they've done together. So they continue to expand this and they make it available for uh, a variety of different platforms that you might sell. Um, Mm -hmm. But the idea here is they're really, really working hard to, to do something we've been talking about a lot in the podcast, which is creating this really smooth experience so that the ISO can work together with a technology company. And a big part of that is the onboarding um, process. Now, yeah. Iris has already had their Turbo app and all of that, that that really makes it smooth. But where the friction was, was like once the Turbo app was done, you still had to create the gateway account and make sure that you had mm-hmm. the correct like settings and all of that, which right. can be rather complex. Right. Um, and takes time, certainly. It does. Takes time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, depending on which technology company you're working with and, and all that. So what they've done now is they've made it to where you can go in there one time and create these profiles for NMI uh-huh. and say, once I board an app with this you know, setup, I need a new NMI um, instance created with these settings. So uh-huh. now when you say, uh-huh. okay, I'm going to sell for this point of sale company. Well, when you select that one using Turbo App, it automatically and instantly creates the NMI instance. And then that way you can go ahead and automate a lot of the other flow as far as integration with the technology provider to make that really, really smooth onboarding experience. You know, the settings are going to be right because it's automatically created the same way every time. Um, You don't have to worry about somebody dropping the ball. It's like, it's all integrated with the app. Um, So if that's something of interest to you, if you're trying to kind of smooth out your onboarding process, uh, those of you ISOs that are taking technology seriously um, and you're starting to look at this, I would really encourage you to reach out to iriscrm.com. Uh, you want to go through Iris on this and then they'll help you understand the NMI piece, but go to Iris. So it's I-R-I-S-C-R-M. So iriscrm.com and go to iriscrm.com. Uh, if you scroll down the page, I'm looking at it right now. There's a couple posts about some of these new features that they have mm-hmm. along with many, many other cool things that they have going on right now. Request a free demo have a conversation with them, let them know what you're trying to accomplish and see how they can work with you to kind of, you know, streamline and automate everything about running your ISO. Again, it's irishcrm.com. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, in today's Questions from the Field, I want to talk about dual pricing versus non-cash adjustment and service fee models. Ooh, right? good, good topic, yeah. 
Yeah. So I did a survey in uh, our Facebook group. If you want to check it out, you can go to CC Sales Pro Community on Facebook. It's a fantastic uh, free, obviously, group, but it is a private group. You have to join and we have group rules and we don't allow recruiting and all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty cool. Group. But it's really good. I, it I, I'm on that group and yes. learn something almost every day. Yes. It's an awesome group. So I will, I will read you the results of my poll that I put out a couple of days ago. Um, which we had 103 votes, which is pretty good for that's an individual. Pretty good. I've done a lot of online polling. 100, anything over 100 is considered good. Yeah, that's pretty good data. Yeah. So I said, for those of you selling a program where you pass the cost of processing onto the consumer, which option are you selling primarily at this point? Uh, the options are non-cash adjustment or service fee, where you're adding a fee to both credit and debit transactions uh, when they use a card. 35% of respondents said that they do that. Okay, that's their primary lead-in, which I'm going to come back to. Um, true cash discounting, where you have the merchant raise their price on the shelf for the menu, and then you offer a true cash discount at the right. sale. That one was 11%. Okay, Compliant okay. surcharging, where you apply an additional fee only to um, credit, not to signature right. or pin debit. That was 4%. Interesting. And then dual pricing, where we have a cash and a card price with no line item on the receipt, but where we have a card price and a cash price where the card price is higher, and that would be for credit and debit, either one, regardless, it's not Somewhere cash. around 50? Uh, 50% on the button. Yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of things about that that I thought were very That's very interesting, James. And I was yeah. really, I'm really surprised by the surcharging number. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm well, not that, I had a little bit surprised by, by the true cash discounting. Yeah, um, being that, that high. Yeah, being that high. Yeah, me too. And, and, and the surcharging being that low. Yeah. Now, in, yeah. in fairness, one thing I found when I looked at the true cash discount, I actually tagged a few people that I knew that, that and I was like, really? Um, and it turns out most of them were selecting that one and another option, actually. And so that okay. was one of the things that they offered. Um, okay. But there are some people that primarily go that route. Um, my big takeaways from it were a couple of things. Number one, dual pricing is really taken off. I mean, bear in mind, we're like, Four months in, like I didn't even mention it. I mean, four months ago, if I would have taken that poll, I would have bet the dual pricing would have been at 6% or something right, like that. I right. mean, it was like, I didn't even know, if, most people didn't even know what it was. Right. And here we are at 50% are leading off with dual pricing. And that just goes to show how quickly that's taken a hold with the ISO community and, and the, what the agents want. The other interesting thing is the non-cash adjustment service fee model still being at 35%, which I found actually a little shocking myself. I thought it would be yeah. at maybe 15 or 20 um, yeah. because dual pricing is just like so much better, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, with that one though, when I talk to agents about it, generally it's for two reasons, three, I guess. Number one, they didn't know about dual pricing, but that's becoming less and less. Um, the more common thing is that they offer a particular technology solution that doesn't do the dual pricing yet. It only has mm -hmm. the non-cash adjustment. So a lot of them would say they want to lead with dual pricing, but if they, if dual pricing isn't available through a particular point of sale system that they want to offer, they do the non-cash adjustment, which then you'd have dual pricing. So like, as an example, we just interviewed Labu. Well, right. I helped Labu set up non-cash adjustment a long time ago. They sold mm -hmm. it to hundreds and probably over a thousand restaurants by now, I would imagine. And now they just are you know, rolling out their dual pricing with this big push we've done. And so, you know what I mean? So we have a lot of companies like that where they had to like right. implement They're it. They're kind of in the transition period. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. a feeling that when we do this same poll in 90 days, we're going to see that 50% go to 65 or 70%. And hopefully the non-cash adjustment go down significantly. Um, a couple of other big takeaways. I mean, the true cash discounting does have some people that um, are big fans of it. Um, and compliant surcharging is simply not taking off. Now, 
Having said that, let me be clear about a couple of things. This Facebook group is a bit of a skewed data set because primarily these are agents that are targeting um, card present merchants. Right. Um, right. There are four, there are, let's see how many people here. So I guess it'd be about four, but uh, yeah, there's four people who selected the compliance surcharging. I happen to know that all four of them have some focus on card not present uh, merchants. And so where we're seeing compliance surcharging really taking off is things like home service companies, right. um, things of that nature, where there's that card not present environment, especially higher ticket, where they mm-hmm. do want to give the customer the option to do the, um, you know, the, the no fee option with their debit card. Right, right. You know, so, yeah. so we're seeing that. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about really quickly is dual pricing here. So obviously that's the leader. That's what's kind of taking off. Um, again, I think we're going to continue to see that shift. If you're not, if you're still offering non-cash adjustment or a service fee, um, all I can tell you is it, it, that's a bit outdated at this point. And, and I know that sounds insane because like literally four months ago, it wasn't, but things change fast in this fast industry. In this, yeah, they do. And it's just, it's outdated. And, and the reason it's outdated is because, um, you know, it is much easier to sell dual pricing. Um, it's much more intuitive to understand, you know, for the, for the merchant. And it's something that Visa you know, considers compliant versus the non-cash adjustment service fee model, they definitely do not consider it compliant. And so why would you take all these extra compliance risks for no reason when the other thing is actually easier to sell and just as profitable? I mean, it just doesn't really right. make any sense. So if you want to learn more about what dual pricing is, you can go to ccsalespro.com slash insights. I, I literally just search up there. There's a little search box, search yeah. for dual pricing. Yeah. I did an entire like I don't know, 30 page ebook on it um, and all that. Yeah. But I'll tell you I what I want to talk about. I recommend the ebook. I Thanks. highly recommend it. Yeah. You know, Patty, I just want to talk for one second though about the scope of compliance. Okay. okay. So um, as I was doing this poll, we got into a bit of a debate in the comment section. There's quite a few comments. Um, and we got into a bit of a debate uh, with several people just kind of talking about, well, is dual pricing compliant? And the big question is, well, is dual pricing compliant if we have a cash and a card price on the receipt? but the merchant doesn't uh, list a cash and a card price on the shelf or on the menu. They just have their, their kind mm-hmm. of cash price. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is that it depends on the state that they're in. Now, I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice, but my understanding of it is it depends on the state that they're in. And here's the important part. What Visa seems to be communicating through the larger banks and processors I've spoken with uh-huh. is that Visa is also looking to limit the scope of compliance because they don't want to police everything and well, everything. Yeah, exactly, right. Right. For for them, they say, okay, what we can kind of police is the point of sale system, the credit card machine, you know, the payment processing receipt. Mm-hmm. That's what they can police. Right. They they don't have any control over what goes on on the shelves. Exactly. Now, on the other hand, the state might have a say in that. Exactly. And in so that, now, you have to kind of check out yeah. yourself. And that's where you have like a state attorney general's office where mm-hmm. they will get involved with complaints about consumer disclosure laws, mm-hmm. where they say, well, wait a second, you know, this wasn't disclosed properly. But as an example, uh, just a quick example, um, if you go to the state of Indiana right now, their consumer disclosure laws would seem to indicate, again, I'm not an attorney, but they would seem to indicate that just having a cash and card price on the receipt is totally fine. You don't even need anything else, really, um, mm-hmm. other than a sign notifying them when they walk in that there's a cash and a card price. That's fine. Um, whereas you go to somewhere like New York and there's really no possible way around the fact that you would need to have the cash and card price on the shelf and, um, you know, on the menu, um, in order to be compliant with state law. And so these different States vary a lot. And so the reason that's important is I'm not trying to say that you as the salesperson or the ISO need to become the expert at that quite the contrary. 
What I'm saying is let's all kind of follow, you know, Visa's uh, lead a little bit here and say, wait a second, we, we can't be responsible for every single thing. And we, we recognize that the merchant has free speech rights. And so why don't we let the merchant be the one that makes sure that they're following state and local laws about how they print their menu and their, and their shelf pricing. And let's focus on making sure that our point of sale system and our receipts are compliant. I, I, I agree with you, but I think that in instances, and there are instances where an, uh, a rep might only be selling, for example, in New York, right? Right. It would probably behoove them to know what the rules, rules were so that they can say to the, their client, hey, Mr. Restaurantier, um, you know, you could do this, but you better check the state law. As I understand it, this is what it says, but you ought to go check for yourself. Sure. And, and of course, yeah, you, I think anytime you're educated on something, it right, helps. It, it makes you look better yes. if you're educated on it. But the yeah. one thing, and the one thing I would caution, I guess, would be where you want to be careful, just like you always hear me say, I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. I would advise as an agent to take that same kind of mantra when you're speaking to the merchant about these things and say, I'm not an expert on consumer disclosure law. You know, I would tell you that a lot of a lot of local merchants in you know this state, they do things a little bit differently. Feel free to check that out. But what right. I can make sure that I do is make sure the point of sale system, the receipt, and the signage that I'm putting up are compliant with card brand rules and state and local laws. That's where that's our scope of compliance. Right. Um, but like you said, Patty, you could let them know, hey, I have taken a look at this, and I'd recommend you take a look as well. Um, but I think where you where you got to be careful, where I've seen agents get themselves in trouble, is the card brands come in, a mystery shopper or a complaint to the attorney, a state AG or something. Mm-hmm. And now the merchant's saying, hey, you know, why didn't you explain right. this now? Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, wait a second. You know, I'm not, I'm not responsible for every That's time you put your job. price on, yeah. a, on a marketing slick or on a billboard or like, I'm not responsible for that. Like that's, that's right. your marketing department. That's your, that's your decision and right. how you disclose. And so ultimately, you know, the dual pricing, you know, Visa and everybody on down the chain agrees that it's compliant relative to making sure that we have the dual pricing listed everywhere in our system. So even a point of sale system, ideally, you're going to end up having, you know, different line items for cash and card price, even for individual items in the point of sale, for instance, is a, is a mm-hmm. great step in the right direction. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, having a cash and a card price is extremely popular uh, right now. Uh, we are, again, as of right now, I mean, knock on wood, you know, we just haven't seen the compliance issues. I and I mean, I know everybody in the industry, and I'm just not hearing issues with processors saying we've implemented dual pricing with a cash and a card price, and we have a sign and we have no line item on the receipt. They're just not coming to me and saying we're getting complaints. Um, it's just not happening. The, the consumers understand it. The merchants understand it. Just like a fuel station, you have a cash yep. price and a card price. Same thing. Yep. Everybody gets it. Visa considers it compliant. The state AG may have a concern. I have seen a few where they've had a concern, especially in um, New York and uh, Florida and California, the three I've seen. Um, yeah, they've told the merchant, Florida one. yeah, they told the merchant, hey, we, you know, you got to have the cash and the card price listed on the shelf, that sort of thing. And we've even found a lot of ways to get around that sometimes, but um, that just hasn't really been a big issue. Um, and so I'd really encourage you, if you still haven't gone that down that route, go to ccsales.com slash insights. It's a free ebook download. Um, just search for dual pricing. I got two eBooks in there, how to sell dual pricing and the case for compliance. Read the case for compliance, implement dual pricing, whether you're a technology provider or an ISO. The time has come more than, you know, more than half the agents now, I guess exactly half of the agents in my group yeah, yeah. are already selling dual pricing. So it's time to kind of make the shift. It's a lot easier to sell and it's totally compliant. I think it's a lot easier to sell. I, you know, and I keep going back when I talk to people about it, I keep going back to the gas station analogy. 
Yeah. You know, it's a perfect example. So it's so easy to explain it for that decades. Yep. They've been doing it for decades. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks, awesome. James. Good advice. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, you know, there's a little more trouble for Visa and MasterCard. Okay. Uh, you know, it seems like they can't catch a break when it comes to uh, debit cards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So this is more uh, on the debit card routing. Yes. More on the debit card routing. Oh, my. Okay. The Federal Trade Commission. Now, you might recall that uh, I'm thinking it was like in late 2021 or early earlier this year, I reported on how the FTC uh, was investigating whether the card giants were blocking merchants on debit card routing, you know, from going to the regional networks. Right, right. And just as a reminder, the FTC has um, enforcement authority for the networks under okay. the Durban Amendment. Right. And that amendment requires merchants be given the choice of networks yeah. for routing debit cards. Well, according to the Wall Street, so the FTC had this investigation going of the networks and it had commented on the Fed's proposal. Um, now, according to some reporting by the Wall Street Journal and others, um, the agency has expanded the focus of that investigation to determine if the company's tokenization technologies further stifle debit card processing on rival networks. Right. Now, remember we talked about tokenization, I think it was last week or the week before, um, you know, where a token is used, you know, basically the um, sensitive card information, the card number and stuff right. are um, replaced with a token, you know, which is, you know, just gibberish right. um, to, to, the, to the naked eye. And it's a key security uh, protocol for e-commerce. And uh, you may also recall, I think I reported recently how Visa says it's issued 4 billion tokens Right. Which is more than there are Visa branded cards in circulation. Right. So, you know, a token gets issued by the card network that's listed on the card, that is Visa or MasterCard. So when a debit card is tokenized by Visa, ostensibly only Visa and the issuing bank can decipher the token. Right. And reassociate it with the actual card. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and so I but think there's to... nothing stopping Visa from unscrambling the token. So the transaction can be handed off to another network. Right. So it's kind of like one of those things where maybe when you were a kid, if you, uh, you know, exchange letters in code, right. well, you would need the key to the code. There's some kind of a document that says, mm -hmm. this is how you can unscramble this code. So you know what it says. Visa is the one that holds on to that key right now. Right. And in order for them to allow another network to, um, you know, decrypt it, they would need to share that key information, which, you know, I can understand their, trepidation there i mean that's a, well that's, and, you know. and, and and actually so can i but you know yeah. so what you know obviously yeah. they're you know the ftc is trying to understand why visa and mastercard are limiting the information they unscramble apparently they're doing some but not all of the information probably like giving the card numbers but maybe not the cvc or vv or something like right, that right right okay so um it's just interesting because you know on uh, this news came out after the Fed issued a clarifying amendment to the Durbin Amendment, you know, that the 
the routing choice applies to online as well as card present transactions. And that requirement is still set to take effect on July 1st uh, of next year. Right, right. Um, and, you know, um, let's not forget the Justice Department also has an ongoing antitrust investigation of Visa um, regarding um, efforts by Visa, uh, allegations that Visa is deliberately hindering merchant efforts to route debit card payments over these regional networks. So, right. you know, we talked about this issue of, for a few weeks now, but I, and, and sometimes I look at it and go, oh, no, not another one. But I think people yeah. should be aware of the fact that there's a lot of pressure on Visa and MasterCard right now as it relates to debit card routing. And that could easily, as we know, spill over into the credit card routing. Yep. If, uh, if Durbin has his way at some point in the future with that regulation we've talked about so many times, the Credit Card Competition Act. This would be a barrier there as well, because obviously the, uh, you know, same encryption technology is used with uh, credit same as encryption. with debit. Yep. Right, yeah. right. Well, I'm sure we'll definitely be uh, keeping an eye on this one and, uh, you know, keep us up to date, Patty. I'm sure will. we'll see how it changes. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.